All right. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Rick, and uh, as the pastor of Student Ministries here at the Cross, as the father of two children uh, here, I want to say thank you to everybody who gave uh, financially, gave physical effort uh, to, to get the building together. A lot of consideration prayers went into it, so thank you. Uh, my little boy, Ricky, uh, goes to uh, Kids Cove, the little preschool, and because of that, he has come home and sung the ABCs every day over and over and over again. He'll just stop in the middle and start again, all right? And so thank you, Miss Tara, for that. Um, uh, he, uh, the other night, we were walking past his room, and he was playing with his little trucks in his room, and uh, Karen and I were walking by, and we hear him singing something other than the ABCs. And uh, we lean in, and we hear, God, our Father, God, our Father, bless this food, bless this food. And we hop in, and we say, what are you singing? We didn't teach you that, you know? And so it's cool to know that my kids come here to Sunday school, to preschool, and come home with songs and prayers that we didn't even know existed, right? That's pretty cool. Um, also, the other night, around 3 a.m., uh, he woke up. He was scared. He asked for apple juice, okay? And uh, so it's Halloween season recently, so there's a lot of ghosts and jack-o'-lanterns, pumpkins, he calls them. So this has been his big fear for the last few weeks. And so when he wakes up at 3 a.m., Kara goes in and says, you okay? And he says, Mommy, Jesus punched the ghost and the pumpkin in the face. And we, <laughs> well, I mean, we laughed, of course, we heard that, but I was so thrilled that my young man has such a biblical imagination. <laughs> I don't know if he dreamed that or if that's like the VeggieTales Halloween cartoon or something. I don't know. Either way, I'm excited about the ministries we've got going on here. So thank you all for, for serving. Uh, I am continuing in our series called Inspired, the 66 Love Letters of the Scripture. Uh, today we'll be talking about the book of Hebrews. And uh, I'm going to go through a quick overview of the major themes, zoom in on faith, and then there will be a little bit of testimony time uh, with mine and Kara's faith walk uh, recently in the last few months, okay? So the, the purpose of the book of Hebrews uh, is to encourage Jewish people who have become Christians to remain faithful to Jesus, okay? Uh, there had been some persecution that had come up. It would have been very easy for them uh, to return to what was rich and familiar with all the traditions and festivals of Judaism, all the stuff they would have known as home, it would have been very easy to, to go back to that. But the, the strategy of the writer uh, is the same one that I hope to use with the students, like in the student ministries here, and that is to show that no matter who you admire, who you would want to be like, imitate, the people that you think are the best in the world, maybe they're great, but Jesus is far greater than everybody you can admire, okay? And so the writer starts out talking about the Old Testament prophets. They were heroic. Uh, they spoke truth to power. Uh, they were doing everything they could to keep Israel on track. And yet, uh, Jesus is a greater prophet than all of them, okay? Uh, angels are buffed and ripped in all kinds of intimidating presences, right? They did important stuff. Many people admire these. But Hebrews talks about how Jesus is honored above the angels, okay? Uh, Moses had more in his life go on than anybody else I can think of. He leads his people out of slavery uh, into the desert, leads them to an encounter with God that is just hugely important in the history of Israel, and yet Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than Joshua and Aaron and all of the priests that have come after him, all right? And so some of the reasons Jesus is a greater priest than all that followed Aaron is that he gave himself as the sacrifice for our sins. 
Uh, priests would sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins, but uh, Jesus gave his own life, so there's more skin in the game there, right? Uh, he, uh, his sacrifice is eternally effective for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, he continues to minister for us in heaven, and he is able to sympathize with all of our weaknesses because he was tempted but did not sin, right? He is the one we can truly keep our eyes on and become like and follow into the abundant life that he has uh, designed for us. So the second major, major theme in the book of Hebrews is faith. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 has the love chapter. Uh, faith, uh, Hebrews has the faith chapter in, in chapter 11. And so in verse 1, it defines faith for us as uh, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So I want to highlight that word hope for a second there, okay? So I don't know about the ladies, okay, but in the guy's bathroom, okay, on the wall there's this saying that we should not be afraid of failing. We should be afraid of succeeding in things that don't matter, okay? And usually words on a bathroom wall are absurd and ridiculous, okay? But I think it screams growth culture, all right, that you can't walk into the bathroom at Cross Loganville without being confronted by some life-liberating truth, okay? We got some good stuff going on here, all right? Uh, but I want us to, to think about that for a second. One of the most important questions, if not the most important question we could ever ask ourselves, isn't, what do I want? The most important question we can ask ourselves is, what should I want for the flourishing of myself, for the honoring of God, for the benefit of our neighbor, for the good of all that God loves? What should we want? And so uh, I could lead us into a time of thinking about all the time we've wasted on trivialities and vanity and all kinds of stuff, but um, that's not needed. What we can do is focus on what Jesus says is the most important thing, and that's uh, in Matthew 6.33. He says to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, meaning you get this one hope as your true ultimate and steadfast aim, and you will become everything God wants you to become. You'll experience everything he has planned for you. Things will fall into place, okay? Uh, the, the world normally thinks of success as getting what you want. I think, biblically, success is wanting what God wants. Even the chance to truly desire what God desires is itself entirely freeing. Uh, Jesus would define that as the kingdom of God. It was his main message. Uh, James Bryan Smith says that the kingdom of God is found in hearts where God rules without rival, right? Meaning our heart is aligned with his. I mean, you can imagine how difficult a relationship with the Lord is when you want different things and you're clashing all the time. Um, but freedom, Christian freedom, is to truly want what God wants, uh, to desire what he desires, so Craig Rochelle says that uh, we are not called to be important, okay? People often spend most of their lives trying to prove that we are important. We, we justify our existence. We're worthy. We belong in a certain place. Craig Rochelle says that uh, the point of life isn't to be important. It's to be faithful. But if we are faithful, we are doing what is important to God, okay? And so uh, Hebrews 11, 6 says what's important to God. I mean, this is really what he's growing in us. In eleven six, it says, uh, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for whoever draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So 
good question to ask is why is faith so pleasing, so essential to God being happy with our lives? Why is it that trusting him, being confident or being confident in him is so important to him? And I think one of the biggest reasons is that the scripture tells us that God is love. Like this is his character. God is loving. He can't help but be loved. That's what, how he is. And so because God is loving, he loves, right? He loves us. Uh, it's very comforting to know that God does not love us because of who we are. It's, it is our security, it is our greatest joy that God loves us because of who he is, right? It's not hard. It's not hard for him to love us. And because he really loves us, uh, the definition we use for love around here is doing the most redemptive thing for someone, okay? Uh, it means doing the absolute best thing you can. It means to truly seek the good of the person loved. The goal of love is to do uh, what will truly help them flourish. And he knows, God's very smart, he knows that there's nothing greater in the universe than himself. He knows there's no greater person, place, thing, or idea in the entire universe. We would, our life would be tragic if we did not experience him. And so he works uh, to, to be trustworthy, right? He's done everything he can to develop a relationship with, with us and to show that, that he is trustworthy, making the way for relationship with him. So the reason faith is important to God is because faith or trust is the basis of every relationship we have with anyone. I mean, trust in your spouse is what makes a really flourishing marriage. Uh, trust with your friends is what makes a great friendship. It's, it's the same with God. Uh, our spiritual maturity, all of the joy that we will have comes from the solidness of our trust in, in who God is. So uh, oftentimes people will think that uh, we're, like Tim was saying, believing God for an outcome and it just, in, so, in Scripture so many times, God just does not do what we think is best, right? And so faith in God doesn't mean that he's going to necessarily give us the outcome that we want. Um, I would say that one of the reasons we can trust God is because he will tell us no sometimes. The reason my son will be able to trust me when he's older is that I will have said no plenty of times, right, for the sake of his flourishing and for his safety. What we can trust God to be is number one, we can trust him to be very, very smart, right? For his vision to be total, for him to know what is truly good, to be able to trust him that like he actually knows what's good, okay? Human beings, we're always trying to do good. I mean, like always, we, we really are doing the best we can. And people are on all sides of different issues, trying to do what they think is good. Half the time, we're totally misguided. And then the other half, there's all kinds of unintended consequences that we just cannot foresee, right? But God is able to see the total picture. We can trust that his vision is, is the most well-informed vision of the universe there is, okay? In addition to that, we can trust that he's powerful enough to get what he wants, right? God is powerful enough to secure good for him to put all of the things that happen in life and put them together in such a way that it works for our greatest flourishing. And another name for that is him being loving. We can trust that God truly loves us in the great project that he's building on all the joy he's creating for all of us. Uh, we can trust that he's wanting to include us in that again because his character is love. This is why uh, we can really, really trust him. Uh, so uh, Tim asked me to share a little bit about uh, our story with, with Nora recently who we were able to dedicate today. Um, it's been a really good day. I'm excited about today. Um, but uh, basically, uh, about eight months ago, when uh, it was going to be Ricky's second birthday, 
And uh, we went in for a routine sonogram and got about the scariest news I've ever had, and certainly about the scariest anyone could, could get. And the news was that uh, they had found some extremely concerning things in Nora's body. Uh, Kara leaned back on the table and began to lose her hearing because it was like so, it was shocking, it was difficult. And I leaned in on every single word she said. And I think in order to distract myself from the weight of it, I mean this, like, I think my coping mechanism was to thank the doctor for how nicely she told us. I mean, like, she, I told her, I'm, I'm sure that she was, uh, you know, caught off guard when, when some young kid tells a, a, a seasoned doctor, you must have taken a class for how to tell people bad news, because this is, like, amazing. Like, you're, anyway, I was able to distract myself from the weight, okay? And uh, that night, uh, Danny and Krista uh, picked up food for us. We live in their basement apartment, because I've known Danny since college, he's a good friend, the best man at my wedding. And they brought takeout food for us. That night, Tim and Barb came and uh, prayed over us, and we were just trying to, we just wanted it to be time to go to sleep, right? And so uh, we wake up the next day, and the plan is to, to go and hang out with Danny and Krista uh, in their living room when Ricky was asleep and he was taking a nap, and we could really just kind of begin to think about this. And so Krista was a labor and delivery nurse for quite a while in Gwinnett, and is still good friends with so many people uh, who uh, are you know, medical professionals and working with, with babies. And she said, I, I got some information if you'd like to hear it. And again, I lean in, you know, I just, I absolutely want some kind of clarity, sure. And so uh, the news wasn't good. I mean, she said that uh, based on what you told me, I told my friend, and he said, it's based on the statistics, there's an 80% chance that it could be um, as minor as blindness, um, perhaps blind and deaf, maybe just one or the other. It could be Down syndrome, it could be something much worse, uh, potentially uh, incompatible with life, was the phrase we heard. And so, 80% uh, chance that something is gonna be really life-changing, okay? And so, uh, and then she said, and from what I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, 30% uh, chance that she may just not live, right? I mean, she may survive birth and may be incompatible with life. This is some, this is some heavy stuff, um, but I am notoriously bad with numbers, okay? And so that didn't really do anything to me. Uh, but as she kept talking, uh, it kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, the phrase, uh, it was like the office of the Department of, of Infant Demise. When I heard the term infant demise, I mean, it just came out of nowhere. I mean, just blasted me. I mean, just, I remember feeling, I mean, just not being able to stop crying. I mean, just, and wanting to push the breath and the tears out of me. Like, I just didn't want any air in my lungs as a result of this, just feeling crushed, right? And I don't know how long I was doing that, right? I was going on for a little while. And, uh, but I just, I can breathe again. So I say, all right, yeah, let's, what else, you know? And, uh, and she said, this is something that's, this, sound just, this sounds strange to a lot of people, but I want you to kind of give you a head start to think about it in case something really, really bad happens. She says, there's a nonprofit group of photographers uh, called Now They Lay Me Down to Sleep. And what they do is they donate their services for people who have lost very, very, very young babies. They're very tasteful about it and take blankets and pillows and set the baby up and they take a photograph of the child and 
I think it was the mixture of the kindness of the photographers to be willing to do that and the feeling of there being nothing to your precious little kid at all except for a picture, right? And she said, often, and I just lost it. She said, often people think they don't want that, but I would recommend if the worst happens, you get it done and you can either take it or leave it. After three to six months, they just get rid of it, but be thinking about it. And I mean, this exactly the same before. I don't, it's not, I don't want to be dead. No, I, I, I'm, it's not despair, but I just don't want to be breathing right now. You know, I just want to, I just want to be empty, right? One of the lowest moments of life, one of the darkest moments of life for sure. And uh, again, I mean, there's a lot of weeping that, that happened with this. And, uh, but I remember after this, after the breath returned, after the emotions were gone, the tears were gone, there was this feeling of serious clarity, right? Where I thought, there's no pressure to act like I got it together right now. I mean, I can relax with these people. I just lost it. I can be totally honest. I can say where I am right now. And what I, what I said was something like, obviously, we, we don't want this to happen to my daughter. And we know people who will treat it like their job to pray, which you did, thank you. And people all over the country, thank you. They will treat it like a job to pray for. And we believe God can heal her. I mean, this isn't hard to believe that he can heal her at all. But if he allows this, this is an unwelcome situation, but if he allows the worst to happen or if he allows her to have special needs, I have room for this, I have space for this in my belief about who God is and what life is about, right? So I just said, God is loving, powerful, and smart. I'm not challenged by that at all with the situation. But immediately, in, in Hebrews 11, there's the, the hall of faith heroes, right? By faith, they got their commendation. They did this, they did this through faith. I didn't think of the scripture. Immediately, my mind goes to two professors at Southeastern University who have been extremely influential to me. Um, Dr. Fetke and Dr. Cotton were there for like 30 years. Their lives scream faithfulness and consistency and depth. And I, I realized part of the reason both of them are the way they are, I'm sure, is because they were faithful day in and day out, relying on God as they served their special needs kids. And so I thought two of the men I admired the most in my life had something like this situation. There's no doubt in my mind God used it to turn them into saints, into containers of heaven, to truly unique individuals. So for Dr. Fecky, uh, I remember him making such an impact on me. I've got a framed study guide from one of his classes on my desk. That's not gonna surprise many of you, okay? <laughs> I know not everybody frames study guides, but I thought, this guy brought his absolute best every single day, and when you do that, you tend to bring forth some really high quality stuff worth paying attention to, and I've got it on my desk. I hear his voice saying to, to kids in ministry school, to youth pastors, are you actually gonna teach them something or are you gonna throw parties all the time? And that is in my head as I'm planning the calendar. The man made an impact. There's no doubt that part of it's from his faithfulness. And with Dr. Cotton, chair of the English department uh, for, for quite a while, I mean, this guy, he has insight into things that no one has matched that I've run into yet. But I'll just give you one brief example beyond insight. We're sitting down uh, eating lunch one day a few years ago. Uh, and uh, I'm talking, and he's listening. And you know normally when people talk, there's some listening, then the other person talks, and then the other person listens and talks. Uh, I stop talking, and there's a moment of silence, and it, it lasts for a little while. I mean, enough for me to be a little uncomfortable and 
look up and say, like, are you still paying attention? And he says, he knew I was uncomfortable, and he goes, yeah, I, I hear you. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm really thinking about what you said. I'm, like, processing your words here. And I thought, I don't know many people who are comfortable enough with themselves to be silent for any amount of time, really. That's pretty unusual in our culture. But beyond that, I've never been listened to like that in my entire life. I don't know many people who have been listened to like that ever. Paul Tillich said that uh, the first duty of love is to listen, right? And so, so immediately, I think, we don't want this to happen. But if God allows this, we trust God to turn us into people who can really be faithful to him and who can really impact other people's lives. And it doesn't, I don't doubt at all, that knowing God would be impossible for Nora if she has these different situations. And if she goes to heaven, she really knows him then, right? So my daughter is safe no matter what, is what I think through this. And the Lord can continue to work. So there was about two or three months of total uncertainty. We did not know what was going to happen until she was born. Um, I remember being in the waiting room, and uh, the, the delivery room, and the doctor, as she receives Nora, just says, Kara, she's beautiful. And uh, I remember holding her in this chair, and I was, I was probably crying for some amount of time, but in the, in the middle of all this, I realized I'm laughing, right? I mean, I don't know when the switch happened, but it was this crazy <laughs> laugh, right? And, uh, and that being said, I think that that switch from gratitude to joy that is above and beyond me, it's just so far out, so exuding, that I don't know what's going on, is a foreshadowing of the future we all have in heaven, right? This is, this is where we're headed. Richard Foster says that the point of salvation is to get you into heaven, but even more, to get heaven into you, okay? This is the project he has for us right now. And I wanna, I wanna send this message. We don't have enough time to wait for just really terrifying catastrophic events to hit us to exercise faith. I'm so glad about that. That would be a lot of wasted time if we only had the big stuff to rely on God for. The truth is the point of a day, the highest value of every single boring in and out day of our life, the greatest goal of it is to intentionally rely on the Lord. Like the biggest gain you can make as you make it through whatever it is you're doing is to do it by faith, in trust, reminding yourself constantly, God is good, he's smart, he's powerful, he's trustworthy, he's loving, and his desire for me is to become someone who can enjoy him and be powered by that joy all the time, right? He's got a fantastic future for us because of who he's making us to be. So in the notes, uh, some of the final things there, uh, what does mature faith look like? I think that, I mean, it's a process. It's, it's subtle. It's under the radar much of the time. But I love what Eugene Peterson says, and that is when we are dealing with the basics, like Tim said earlier, there is a God and we're not him, right? He is God and we are not. Peterson says the basics are God and our need for God. When we, when we live like this, we're living at bedrock, at the absolute truest, deepest foundational truth of our life, and we start each day at the beginning with no frills, right? You don't get distracted by stuff that doesn't mean stuff. You exercise the faith that the most important fact, the joyous fact about my life is that there is a God who wants me uh, to be with him, right? To turn me into the kind of person who would want to be around him, all right? And so Dallas Willard says, our challenge is to stay with him in the increasing belief that God truly wants to be with us. The truth is, 
we are utterly dependent on the Lord at all times anyway. Not a single thing we rely on to stay alive was, was created by us, right? I mean, the truth is we are utterly dependent at all times. The journey for us to make is to increase our realization of this and to increase our joy as a result of it. And the way we do that, I'm going to close with Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 2. It says, this is how we do this. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right? This is where he's leading us to be. He wants to make us people who can really enjoy him. All right? So I'm going to pray, and uh, pray with me if you would. Uh, Lord, I am thankful that you gave me life. I'm thankful that you did a miracle here hell, Nora. I mean, it blows me away now. Um, we could never repay you. We could never repay you for anything you've given us. I pray, I, I ask Jesus, that every person in here right now would really, really, really be thankful to you for their lives, that they are alive, that they're conscious. Even if circumstances are like frustrating right now or, or dark right now, I pray that you would break through the mood and break through the lack of clarity and all that. I pray that you would just show us that the greatest opportunity of being alive at all is to know you, and you are willing to make the effort to get to know us, God. I pray that you would help us be unsatisfied with life that is not totally grounded in you. Uh, we love you. We'll talk to you soon. In Jesus' name, amen. That's an incredible word. It was so crazy a couple years ago that we were about to enter into transition. Trevor, who was our student ministry pastor, he and his wife, Brittany, were getting ready to head to Spain to start doing missional work. And we knew it. Trevor and I talked through that in June or July, starting to interview people, talk to people throughout the Southeast. And Danny Joyner was like, I've got this friend that I graduated with. He's a good buddy of mine from college. But I, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I really, uh, I don't know if he would fit. And I was like, well, who is he? He's like, his name's Rick Bloomquist. He's down in Lakeland, Florida. I was like, I'll give him a shot. So we exchanged numbers, and I uh, set up a time to talk to Rick. And so I'm talking to Rick on the phone, and I'm like, he's way too intelligent to hang out with me. <laughs> I mean, maybe for some of y'all, but I'm talking to him on the phone, and I'm like, I felt like I was talking to, like, Noah Webster meets some great philosopher, and I'm like, really? So we talked, and it was a great conversation, at least on my end, because I'm like, this is fascinating. So he called later, and he's like, hey, I hate to bother you. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He goes, would you mind if I came up there, my wife and I? Danny and Krista have talked so much about that community, and we've had some other churches contact us and pursue us, but we would... We would like to, to maybe, uh, can I just come up there and look? I mean, I know you ain't talking about hiring me or anything, but I'm like, yeah, bring it on. So Nick and Lisa and I and Barb, we had dinner with Rick and Kara. And Kara walks in, and I'm like, oh, my God, this girl is phenomenal. I mean, I just fell in love with Kara. And I, we sat there and start talking to Rick, and I'm like, this is an amazing young man. How is he not somewhere else? And it was like the Lord said, because I want him to be with you, and I want him to be here, and I want him to be with this team.
So I told Danny, I said, Danny, I'm not going to talk to anybody else. I mean, even when they got ready to leave that day to go back to Florida, they drove up on a Saturday and went back on a Sunday. And I said, Rick, here's the deal. I really believe God wants us to partner together. And he's taught me so many new words and stuff. It's amazing. <laughs> huh? I'm, I'm, Rick, I'm serious. Though. I'm sitting here listening to you, and I'm like, you are. You're, you're different than pretty much any other dude I've met. I mean, you're this redheaded ginger surfboard dude out of Florida, and I just, there's a kindred spirit in your genuine love for Christ and others, and just your character, and couldn't imagine doing life with anybody else other than you. And I'm, I'm sitting there listening going, what a gift to this body and to our youth. And man, I just love you, brother. I do and so appreciate you. Let me close with this. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is people, and it doesn't really matter what your chronological age is right now, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is we think only one generation. Ponder it for a second. He's breaking down Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. We think, for many of us, even walking in here today, how, how will God minister to me? What can I get out of it? How can I benefit? What can I gain? And if we're not careful, we go through life thinking only about us, which is very selfish and very shallow. What God does in us and to us and through us is always next generational. It's always next generational. We're 17 years down the road and it's like Levi's legacy. It's next generational. Whatever God was doing inside the womb of Kara before Nora, it's next generation. Hebrews 12, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and sin and every encumbrance. Let us lay aside anything that would weigh us down and hinder us from running the race that is set before us. We've got this great cloud of witnesses. This great cloud of witnesses believed God and had faith in God and persevered and were persecuted and were beaten and stoned and sawn in two and decapitated. and we, We've got this great cloud of witnesses that thought next generation. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. It's so essential, again, why did Jesus come and why did Jesus die? It's not about us. It's not about us. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By faith, men of old gained approval with God. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Noah. By faith, by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because those who come to God must believe he exists. Without faith... We've got to try, but it's not only about our generation. 
It's about passing it on to the next generation. I promise you it is. You can count the seeds in an apple, but you can't count the apples in a seed. When you plant a seed, you, in faith, you never know where it's going to go. So I was contemplating just this whole concept. And I started reading about George Washington before he led his troops into the battle at Long Island. And he reminded his troops of who they were fighting for. Listen to what George Washington said back in the mid-1700s. He said, the fate of unborn millions will now depend under God on the courage and conduct of this army. So back in the mid-1700s, Washington said that the fate of unborn millions hinges on what we do. Abraham Lincoln, some hundred years later, was trying to get the 13th Amendment passed. He was trying to see slavery abolished. There were a couple of votes short in Senate, and he's fighting. Guys, we've got to abolish the slavery piece. And he made this statement. The abolition of slavery settles the fate, not only of the millions that are now in bondage, but of the unborn millions to come. It's not a phrase that we use a lot, right? The unborn millions. The unborn millions. There's going to be unborn millions that come down this corridor and sit in a classroom. There's going to be unborn millions that gather on the sports field. Because of where we're at November 4, we're knocking on the door of November 6, another election. I am pro-life. I do not apologize for being pro-life. I will not vote for a candidate that's anti-life. Because the unborn millions deserve a voice. The unborn millions need to hear the gospel. The unborn millions. You you see, we've got to think beyond our, our generation. One day, one day, if, if Jesus does not return and this earth remains and generations are still born for a period of time. There, there's going to be grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids that come through the gene pool of Tim and Barb Cash. And I want the unborn millions to know that the curse was reversed through their great-great-granddaddy. From Noonan, Georgia, that encountered the gospel and married this little Canadian girl, and they changed history because of their faith and their hope in the gospel. Invest in the next generation, invest in the unborn millions. I'll close you with this. We talk about the five phases of manhood, we talk about when you're born, you Enter in and you just kind of go through childhood. You're dependent on everybody. Take care of me, feed me, change me. Then we move into adolescence. Adolescence is where we're trying to figure things out. Adolescence is we're starting to go through some puberty and different things are happening. 
The problem is we live in a generation of 40 and 50 year olds that are stranded in adolescence. It makes no sense. We're supposed to move out of adolescence into manhood. Manhood is where I slay the self-centeredness and say, I've got to start living by obligation and not just what I want. We move into manhood. We're raising up a generation of men and women here. And then we desire to move into what we call being a mentor. A mentor is able to invest and impart wisdom and breathe life on that next generation. Rick and Kara are mentoring so many of our high school students. Nick is worshiping uh, with so many young people and training them in worship of God. Mentoring, Steve, Dustin, myself, all of us. But you hope to move from the stage of mentor to become a patriarch. And a patriarch is a person who's able to send a message into a generation that's yet to be born. The unborn millions. That's what I want to be about. I want to be about investing in the unborn millions. I want to, I want to be a patriarch. I want to send a message to a generation that's not even born. And you're going to do it through your faith and through your generosity and through taking a stand for the gospel. And you're going to do it through becoming the men and women in your home, in your businesses, in your community. It's going to be when you sell out and say, I'm all in. I got to live by faith. And so I invite you today to radically risk it all for the kingdom. What do you say? We're all men and women and people that invest in the unborn millions because we refuse to be called just citizens of this earth. And we said we're going to be the children of God. We're going to be the church of the living God. We're going to rally together with our time, talents, treasures, and everything that we do, and we're going to invest in lives for, king, for, for the kingdom. Join me in the journey.